indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. All powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. You are amazing God. Those are some powerful words. And truly, he is an amazing God. For the next few weeks, we'll be looking at examples of God's providence in the lives of characters in the Bible, and in particular in the Old Testament. And as Drew mentioned earlier, providence isn't a word that we use a lot today. In fact, it's not even in the Bible, but the idea is there. The dictionary definition of providence is God's superintending activity over human actions and human history, bringing creation to its divinely determined goal. I'll read that again. God's superintending activity over human actions and human history, bringing creation to its divinely determined goal. I have my own definition that I call the Karen Johnson definition. That was a little heady for me. And so my definition of providence is that it's those times when things work out in such a dramatic fashion that you know God must have been at work. Things just happen to come together and cause you to say, God did that. God arranged that. God caused us to meet. God spared my life. The closest thing that we usually relate to providence is coincidence. Something that just happened. Everything just happened to line up as it should have. Things just worked out. And we say that that was a coincidence. Well, I would say to you that what we tend to call coincidence might just be providence. So why are we talking about providence? You know, I thought about the journey we've been on as a church and, uh, you know, sometimes we focus so much on making the right decision and doing the right thing that sometimes we need to be reminded that God is at work behind the scenes, bringing his will to pass in our everyday circumstances. And while we have certain duties and responsibilities, it is God who works out his will in us and in the world. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time together today. We thank you that you are not only undescribable, but you're uncontainable and you're untamable. You are truly amazing. We do stand in awe of you. And we come before you to God today, Lord, just remembering who you are, Lord. 
be reminded of your providence, even that we are here at this moment. So, Father, as we come today looking into your word, we pray, Father, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds. Give us the understanding that only you can give. May you impart your word to us, Lord. Plant it deep within our hearts that we might grow, become who you created us to be, and live out the lives that you've called us to. We pray, Father, that you would show yourself to us today. Reveal yourself to us through your word. And now we ask your blessings upon our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the board says, our message today is on an arranged marriage. And as the article says, arranged marriage is on the rise in America. And what's happening is as more people come and make their home in the United States, they're finding it difficult to find a mate who shares their background and their beliefs. And therefore, they're turning to marriage brokers to find appropriate mates for them and to arrange marriages. It's a booming business. Sometimes there is an upfront fee before the process begins, and then there is a fee again if a marriage takes place. These brokers are responsible for connecting families and or individuals with others of like economic, social, educational, and or religious backgrounds. So you see, the key for a marriage broker lies in making the right connection. Very similar to the passage we're going to look at today. Abraham is well advanced in age, and he asks his most trusted servant to travel to his home to secure a mate for his son, Isaac. I want to look now at the passage, and it's not often that um, I'll take the time to read an extended portion of a passage, but this one is so great. Every time I read it, I just, I love it, and I just see, I see God's hand throughout it. And so I want to read it um, for you today, and I'm going to read a little different version called The Message, and I like it because it, it really retains that story ideal for us. So it starts in Genesis chapter 24 at verse 1. Abraham was now an old man. God had blessed Abraham in every way. So Abraham spoke to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of everything he had. Put your hand under my thigh and swear by God, God of heaven, God of earth, that you will not get a wife or my son from among the young women of the Canaanites here, but will go to the land of my birth and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant answered, but what if the woman refuses to leave home and come with me? Do I then take your son back to your home country? Abraham said, oh no, never. By no means are you to take my son back there. God 
The God of heaven took me from the home of my father and from the country of my birth and spoke to me in solemn promise. I'm giving you this land to your descendants. This God will send his angel ahead of you to get a wife for my son. And if the woman won't come, you are free from this oath you've sworn to me. But under no circumstances are you to take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and gave him his solemn oath. The servant then took ten of his master's camels and loaded them with gifts from his master and traveled to Aram Naharaim and the city of Nahur. Outside the city, he made the camels kneel at a well. It was evening, the time when the women came to draw water. He prayed, O oh God, God of my master Abraham, make things go smoothly this day. Treat my master Abraham well. As I stand here by the spring while the young women of the town come out to get water, let the girl to whom I say, lower your jug and give me a drink, and who answers, drink and let me also water your camels, let her be the woman you have picked out for your servant Isaac. Then I'll know that you're working graciously behind the scenes for my master. It so happened that the words were barely out of his mouth when Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, whose mother was Milcah, the wife of Nahur, Abraham's brother, came out with a water jug on her shoulder. The girl was stunningly beautiful, a pure virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came back up. The servant ran to meet her and said, Please, can I have a sip of water from your jug? She said, Certainly, drink. And she held the jug so that he could drink. When he had satisfied his thirst, she said, I'll get water for your camels too until they've drunk their fill. She promptly emptied her jug into the trough and ran back to the well to fill it. And she kept at it until she had watered all the camels. The man watched silent. Was this God's answer? Had God made his trip a success or not? When the camels had finished drinking, the man brought out gifts, a gold nose ring weighing a little over a quarter of an ounce and two arm bracelets weighing about four ounces and gave them to her. He asked her, tell me about your family. Whose daughter are you? Is there room in your father's house for us to stay the night? She said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah and Nahur, and there's plenty of room in our house for you to stay, and lots of straw and feed besides. At this, the man bowed and worshiped before God and prayed, blessed be the God, God of my master Abraham. How generous and true you've been to my master. You've held nothing back. You led me right to the door of my master's brother. And this is the word of the Lord. You know, I read that story every time in utter amazement. How is a meeting like that possible except that God is at work? 
Let's go back to the beginning. We have Abraham, this aging father who simply wants to secure the best possible mate for his son. He's unable to do this for himself, so he must rely on his most trusted servant. His fate rests in the ability of his servant to carry out the enormous task that he has given him. And then we have the servant. I really feel sorry for him. Can you imagine if your boss asked you to do such a thing? I wonder how he felt when Abraham charged him with the task of securing a wife for his son. And not just any son, but the son of the promise. This was no small task. Think about it. This servant most likely didn't know Abraham's relatives. There's nothing in the text to indicate that he'd ever met them before. How was he supposed to know which relative to go to? How was he supposed to know what kind of woman would be appropriate for Isaac? What if he chose the wrong one? The pressure was definitely on. And in addition, the scripture doesn't say that Abraham gave him a lot of detail or a list of criteria as to what kind of woman he should choose. And on top of that, Isaac doesn't even seem to be involved in the process. He has no idea what was going on, so he can't offer, you know, his advice. But Abraham has only required two things, that she come from his country and family and that the servant not take Isaac back to his home. That's a pretty wide open field of choices. So how was the servant to be sure that he fulfilled his assignment adequately? He had to trust that the woman that God led him to would ultimately say yes. Some of you guys know how that feels. His fate rested in her answer. And what about Rebecca? She seems to be the key to it all. The fulfillment of Abraham's request and the servant's duties and Isaac's future all rest upon her decision. Will she go back with him? Will she become Isaac's wife? So while it seems that all seems to rest on human agency, there is also someone else at work. Remember at the outset, Abraham assures his servant that God, the same God who called him from his family and promised to give this land to his descendants, that same God would send his angels before his servant. In other words, God would prepare the way for this servant to find a wife for Isaac. He didn't have to worry because God had already gone before him. Ultimately, it was God who was caused all these things to work together. You see, while each of these people can only see his or her role in the greater purpose of God, God sees it all. And that's the case often with us in our lives. We can only see 
where we are today, the circumstances that we're in today, the, 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 the rationale for where we are today, uh, the solution to the problem today. We could only see that. We could only see our hand, our part. But God sees your part and his part and her part and the person's part a month down the road. None of it is hidden from him. So therefore, he's causing all of these actions to come together. He hears Abraham's conversation with his servant. He understands the limitations of the servant and his abilities or inabilities to find the right mate. He knows the promise that he has made to Abraham that will be lived out through Isaac. God has a stake in all of this. And therefore, he guides Abraham's servant to just the right well at just the right time. He's not 15 minutes too early or 15 minutes too late, but right on time, just like God. God is never late. God is never early, but he's always right on time. And just as this servant finishes his prayer, that just amazes me. Before the words are literally off his lips, as he's making requests to God, Rebecca appears. And more than just appear, she responds to every request that he has made. It's one thing to give him a drink or two. It is yet another to provide water for all of his camels. Remember our scripture said that he brought 10 camels with him. And National Geographic says that a very thirsty camel can drink 30 gallons of water in only 13 minutes. So homegirl was serious. She wasn't playing around. And she provides water for each and every camel. And not just to sip. The scripture says, she says, I'll water them until they have drunk their fill. So can you imagine having just prayed this prayer and sitting there and watching this thing unfurl before you? And he's thinking, even so, is this the one? Did God really do this that quickly? You see, God knows what he has spoken and will continue to speak to Rebecca's heart. He will give her the peace that she needs to travel with this man whom she has never seen before to a land that she has never seen before to marry a man that she has never seen before. Only God can bring all of that to fruition. This, my friends, is the providence of God. 
the ability to bring a series of events and people together to accomplish his ultimate purpose in a way that no one and nothing else could have. This is truly an arranged marriage, but not one that's been arranged by a doting father seeking to secure his beloved son's future. It's not a marriage that's been arranged by a loyal servant seeking to carry out the wishes of his aging and dear employer. It's not even a marriage that has been secured by the willingness of a young girl ready to leave family and country. It is a marriage that has been arranged by the almighty God himself. And it's not simply an arranged marriage, but it's also a love marriage. And I say that because I remember from my days back at Michigan, one day I was having a conversation with some international students, friends of mine, and one of them was from India. And they were talking about their marriages and whether or not they were in an arranged marriage or a love marriage. And I never heard it put that way, but they were very clear that some of them were in arranged marriages and some were in love marriages, which is more typically the way we go about it here in the States. Um, but they never brought the two together. Not that they didn't love their spouses, but they just didn't consider that to be that kind of marriage that they were in. But as I look at this passage in Scripture with Isaac and Rebecca, it's very clear to me that they were in an arranged but also a love marriage. I want to read just the end of the chapter to you, starting at verse 62. It says, Isaac was living in the Negev. He had just come back from a visit to Bir Lahai Roy. In the evening, he went out into the field. While meditating, he looked up and saw camels coming. Just, I have to say, can you imagine? She had no idea that the camels that she was going to water were going to carry her to her destiny. It's just amazing. You never know what that deed you're doing will amount to. The deed you're doing might just be for yourself. So back to scripture. When Rebecca looked up and saw Isaac, she got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man out in the field coming toward us? That is my master, he said. She took her veil and covered herself. After the servant told Isaac the whole story of the trip, Isaac took Rebekah into the tent of his mother, Sarah. He married Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac found comfort after his mother's death. Did you catch that? He married Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Those words are there for a reason. The author wants to emphasize something for us. Yes, this was an arranged marriage, but it was definitely also a love marriage. God calls two people who had never met to come together 
cementing the promise that he had made to Abraham to make his name great and his descendants innumerable. But it wasn't just about fulfilling the promise. It was about bringing two people together into a love relationship. Isaac and Rebecca loved one another. God did that. Now, many, many arranged marriages become love marriages. Some arranged marriages even start out as love marriages. As I was working on this sermon, I read a story about a beautiful story about a man and his wife who in December celebrated their 29th anniversary. And he told of how when he first met his wife, he spent an hour in her company. It was an arrangement um, through his uncle. And he spent an hour with her and about seven or eight other people. That was the only hour he spent in her presence until he married her. But he knew after that hour he wanted to marry her. Never kissed her until their wedding night. But he spoke lovingly of their relationship and how their love had grown over the years and how he loved her more today than he could ever have imagined. But he was clear that it was an arranged marriage. He at least had some say in who he married. He had an opportunity to meet her and to see her and to decide if this was a woman for him. Isaac had none of those things. Just one day out of the blue, the servant shows up with this woman. He only found out what had happened after it had already been done. So yes, the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah at its genesis was an arranged marriage. But it was also a marriage of love, arranged by the God of love. And that, my dear friends, is providence. Let us pray.